I just have a, another announcement before we start, and that is on October 11th, which is two weeks from now, we will be having a congregational meeting to approve the budget set forth uh, the next fiscal year. So please do stay after worship. It will be painless, and you will learn a lot about what we do with our finances here. Uh, so October 11th, right after service. <clears throat> I think we didn't mention, I keep on forgetting to put in the bulletin, which is totally my fault. Uh, we have football every uh, Sunday, almost every Sunday. And I think this week is at 4 o'clock at Overpeck. And I think um, they would really like for us to show some support and go. So if you could get there by 4 o'clock, Overpeck Park, we are facing Arcola, right? So they're our neighbors, so we must be kind to them. We should beat them. But okay, um, we have new chairs. Uh, did you guys notice when you sat down, it's a little different, it's a little, it's still hard. <laughs> they got to be broken in. But I always wanted to come up and I was thinking in my head, okay, everybody reach, reach in. There's like a little, little like space underneath every chair. And if you pull out the envelope there, you get a new car. You get a new car. You get a new car. But... I am, I am not Oprah. I can't do that. I wish I could. Imagine we got new chairs and I was like, you get an envelope, you get a new car. But uh, we do have new chairs. We should just be satisfied with the chairs, I guess. I guess. Okay. So Paul is now going on from talking about God, talking about reconciliation, talking about the amazingness of God's wonder. And then he starts talking and saying, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of Gentiles. And then he stops. He's saying, I, Paul, for this reason, all these things that I talked about for the last two chapters that we've talked about for the last few weeks, oh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he pauses. And this is a sidebar in the Bible, in this book a digression, a deviation, a detour, a departure from his normal path, and he takes a stop. And it's important for us to realize this. Why would he stop here after saying this one sentence? So if you look at verse 1, he's saying, I, Paul, a prisoner. And then if you look at the end of this passage, it talks about, therefore, don't worry about my sufferings. So the three points that I have for us today is suffering, mystery, and body. And suffering is interesting. It's not an actual three points. It's almost as if mystery and body are sandwiched in suffering. Right? It's almost scandalous. You have a mysterious body that's suffering. But it's a mystery and body which is sandwiched in suffering. So why is this important? It's important because life is hard. There's no question about it. Life is hard. I'm not talking about the, uh, the severity of everyday stresses. Everyday stress is difficult. But what we are talking about is downright evil, almost terrible suffering that people go through. And you question why. So everyday stresses are, are almost debilitating at times. If you have kids, if you have work, if you have school, there are stresses that hit you every day. And it is rough. But then you look at the news and you see, wow, this, this, I don't know what to make of this. How do I respond to this? 
And this is important because deep suffering shakes our faith. And when it comes to suffering, the Bible does not shy away from it. In fact, the Bible is unabashed and it dauntlessly talks about suffering. North Korea a month ago executed 80 people. Um, The crimes and the charges were from holding a Bible to watching K-drama from South Korea. And they publicly executed them. These Christians were publicly executed. In some cases, what happened was they rounded up these, all the people in that town or city area. They rounded them all up. They closed down schools, elementary schools. And they would all pack them into a stadium and watch as they executed publicly these Christians. In one case, there was, I think, a stadium called Shinpung Stadium. And they put eight people there. They tied them up. Uh, put a bag over the heads, and they uh, executed by, by machine gun. And then you're thinking, and, and then we read this, and then people are responding. And I'm having this conversation with a friend of mine saying, and my friend says, how do I respond to this? There's absolutely nothing I feel like I can do. John the Baptist Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest prophet, right? There was no man that's even as great as him that was birthed from a woman. And he was just saying he's the greatest prophet. But when John the Baptist was in jail, excuse me, he sent one of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Are you really the one? Why would John the Baptist, who devoted his whole life to Jesus. He ate locusts and honey. He just wore like strands of camel hair. And he devoted his whole life for Jesus. All of a sudden, say, Jesus, are you really the one? Because suffering again shakes our faith. He is about to die. And he knows that this isn't just some jail that you go to overnight because of some minor infraction that you had on the road or something like that. This is jail. He is suffering. He is being tortured and beaten. And he knows he's about to die. And his faith is being shaken. He's going to ask one last question. Jesus, are you really the one? Paul knew that he would suffer and someday be murdered. In 2 Timothy, you see this letter to his beloved disciple, and he's going on, and he knows he's about to die. So Paul also addresses this. In Christian tradition, um, it's not in the Bible, but this is Christian tradition. We believe that Paul and Peter were probably executed around the same year. And it was under the reign of Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero was known to be the fanatical emperor that would just kill Christians. If you're a Christian, you die. You actually didn't need, under his reign, any proof of wrongdoing from a Christian. If you could just prove that this person is a Christian, you would be executed. And interestingly enough, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter, one of the biggest names that we know of our apostles, right, the two most influential first church people, 
they died. Peter died, Christian tradition says, upside down on a cross because he did not want to die the same death Jesus did. He said, I'm not worthy to die the same death my Lord did, so crucify me upside down. And Paul was beheaded because as a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. Crucifixion was so abhorrent at that time that if you were a Roman citizen, there was no way you're going to be crucified. So they beheaded him. And an interesting note also is that Emperor Nero, who was notorious for killing Christians, uh, he commits suicide less than a year later. But Paul knew that he was suffering. And one day he might die. And as he was writing this letter, he knew that it's not just, it's not just when you yourself suffer, but it's when someone you love dearly suffers too that it shakes your faith. A lot may have to do, I think, with the fact that we feel so helpless about it. When you know someone you love so dearly is suffering so greatly and you feel so helpless, what do you do? And see, Paul takes a detour, but it's an incredibly important detour. Because the Ephesians love Paul, but Paul loved the Ephesians. So if you love someone, wouldn't you kind of slow down so that they could catch up? And that's what Paul is doing. If you love someone, you will slow down for them. You will take that detour and you will let them catch up. And so as he takes this detour because of the topic of suffering, he talks about mystery. And when I think of mystery, I immediately thought of Sixth Sense. I don't know why, because I think whenever I see a movie that's a mystery, I kind of lean over to whoever I'm, uh, I'm watching it with, whatever mystery movie it is, and I would say, I think Bruce Willis is dead. And the person would be like, oh, are you serious? Anyway, Bruce Willis is dead. Uh, so no mystery for you guys. But if you read things like Sherlock Holmes... Uh, you would look at it, you start reading it, and then all you would be doing as you read these mystery novels or watch a mystery, it's uh, you would try to figure it out. It's like, oh, I'm try to get the clues. There are clues that are being placed, and there are clues everywhere. But the better the mystery, the less people figure it out, right? That's why Sixth Sense, a few people figured it out, and they would brag about it. But for the most part, people were like, oh, my gosh, Bruce Willis was dead, Bruce Willis is dead. Anyway, um, no, he's actually alive. This character was dead in the movie. Uh, but in the Bible, it talks about Mysterion. And when Paul talks about Mysterion, this mystery, this mystery from the beginning of time that God puts, and he starts putting in evidence, some proof here, some clues here. No one figures it out. Everybody's trying to figure it out. But something that we could have never discovered on our own, no matter how smart we were, that's Mysterion. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? We try to figure it out. We try to make our own way, saying this is the way. I think God is doing this. But no one was able to figure it out. Ten commandments, not a mystery. The golden rule, not a mystery. But when it comes to the gospel, 
It is not. It is not. That's what the world thought all this time. And even today, it still thinks this way. The gospel is not, you obey my commandments and I will listen to you. You'll go to heaven. The gospel is not, you obey, then I will listen to you. In fact, the gospel is about the Son of God triumphing in weakness through suffering. He gains everything by losing it all. In the end, we realize the gospel isn't about what we did at all. It has nothing to do with what we did. That's why the gospel, once it opens up to us, as Paul is opening it up, we start seeing things that we've never seen before. We see things click in the world that could have never clicked before. At its core, the gospel seems counterintuitive, but it is an awe-inspiring wonder. And it has been revealed to us only by Jesus Christ. That's the mysterion. And he talks about this mystery. And then he goes on to my third point, which is the body, the church. Main thing to know about life is that there is death. Because of death, things that should be together starts falling apart. If you're getting older and you pass your pinnacle, which could be in your 40s, 50s, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. Some of our young people think they've passed their pinnacle and they're like 22 and you just want to smack them. But anyway, uh, if you pass your pinnacle and your body starts deteriorating, you realize something, that death is around the corner. Your body starts coming apart. As a kid, I used to eat like 5,000, literally 5,000 calories of only chips. And I was fine. I was 147 pounds. I would just be able to run miles, um, do kendo and play baseball, play basketball for like eight hours and come back, eat another bag of chips. And I was fine. Now if I do that, I would just drop dead. I would not survive, not even one day of this. My body would probably strangle me and then I would die. That's how my body would not be able to do it because death doesn't, but death doesn't only affect the body. Don't you see? Death affects our relationships. We see families come apart too because of death. We see communities coming apart. And then we start thinking, wait, is it really supposed to be like that though? Something deep inside us starts crying out because we believe deep down inside that there is something wrong. We believe deep down inside when something like this happens in North Korea, something is wrong, dead wrong. And so what does, say, what does Paul say in response to all this that is going on? The suffering, the mystery. What is the purpose of the mysterion being revealed? What is Paul's response? And then he says, it's the church. You have to let that sink in. His response to all of this is the church. The church 
should show what, oh, the world a taste of what is to come, what it should be like. Wait, no, the church, and you say, no, the church is full of broken people, messed up people. We always play politics. It's a terrible place. We don't know any better than the people outside the church. That's what we think. But Paul is saying the answer is the church. And then I remember this song, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And it shows us we may be messed up now. But we have blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. We have tasted and seen the goodness of God. And we want to see God invade this place. Invade his church. And God is out to heal the effects of sin. Little by little perhaps. But where do you see God healing the effects of sin? Paul says you see it in the church. Again, it's the mysterion revealed that shows us that it's not about the level or just our aptitude of moral, like, holiness. It's not about that. It's about God who covers us with Jesus' blood. We are not apt. God is And he covers us in his aptness. Once we are covered in this aptness, we start to see changes. Families start to get healed. Businesses, race relations, they all start coming together and not apart. You see life in Christ. That's why in verse 10 it talks about the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. To where? To everywhere. Including, including the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms. What does that even mean? That means what God is doing in the church is not only shown to us here. It's not only shown to the community. It's not only shown around the world, but the heavenly realms. Even the angels and the demons. God is showing his glory through the church. That's how important the church is in God's plan. And that's why in Peter, the book of Peter, Peter talks about even the angels long to look into these things. These things are just amazing even to the angels. And the angels will look down and be like, that's just incredible what God is doing. I have no idea how God could have done, I could have never done that. But God is amazing. The manifold wisdom of God. Many-fold, multicolored, multifaceted beauty is what covers the church People nowadays don't think we need the church anymore. The weather's nice. Why don't we go play, uh, go outside? You know, we'll have some fun. We'll go on a vacation on a weekend. Just believe in Jesus, right? That's the main thing. Just believe in Jesus and you'll be fine. Just read the Bible on your own. Look up commentaries. Listen to sermons online and you'll be fine, right? But Paul couldn't disagree more. To the Paul, church is indispensable. But Paul isn't naive. He's not disillusioned. He knows the church is riddled with trouble. And that's what he actually addresses in all his letters. How do you think we should respond to this sin, that sin, or this issue and that issue? But don't you see, 
when the gospel invades your life, the, your life starts changing. How did you get to right now? How did you get to where you are right now? Isn't it, is it just simply individual decisions? And you're like, no. You have a family that affects you, your neighborhood. It affects you, your community affects you. So now when God says you are a new creation, does he leave you alone? Or does he place you in a new family? A new community? And what do we call it? We call it the church. He's saying, after all he's saying this, talking about the manifold beauty of the church that God covers us with, he's saying, don't be discouraged about my suffering because of the mysterion, because of what God is going to do in the church. That's why he's saying, therefore, don't be discouraged through suffering. In the end, if you understand this, you understand that Jesus ultimately took on all suffering. So that what? So that suffering can't break us anymore. You will, we will go through suffering. There's no doubt about that. But because of Jesus, that suffering won't crush us anymore. Um, there is a, I was watching ESPN and there's this fo- like high school football player, just incredible. I was just blown away by what he said. High school football player, um, he was just saying, oh, yeah. It's like, why do you work so hard? And he was saying, oh, my coach told me this. He said, uh, pressure can either burst a pipe or make a diamond. And I started laughing because I thought that was the most, it sounded really dumb. Pressure can either burst a pipe or make a dime. I was like, that has nothing to do with it. Then I thought about it. It's like, wow, that was so deep. I feel so foolish. <laughs> because it's true. Pressure or suffering can either burst the pipe or make a diamond. But Jesus takes on this pressure, this suffering to himself. So that we will not be broken anymore. So what can suffering possibly do to people that are in Christ? It can make diamonds. And that's what he's doing to all of us. He's forging diamonds out of all of you. That's what God does. God takes what would have now easily broken us, destroy us, make us collapse. And he uses it to forge the beautiful, manifold, multi-layered, multi-colored, multi-faceted church. That is what Paul is saying. That's a good sidebar. That's a good digression. That's a good little detour that he uses. And I think it's good that we sometimes take a detour and we remember what God is doing in us, in our lives. The world will see, no, this is going to break them. This is going to break this church. But what God sees is totally different. He says, no. The manifold wisdom of me will cover this church. So pilgrim, be encouraged. God is with you. God is with us. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this amazing, amazing gospel. 
What has been hidden throughout the ages you reveal to us through your son Jesus Christ. His life and death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection. And because of him, we can live a life we could have never lived before. That nothing in this world can now destroy us. Nothing can touch us because ultimately we are always in your hands. And we thank you for this amazing grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the charge and final prayer. Church gathered, we have seen and tasted the goodness of God through his son, Jesus. Now as the church scattered, go out into the world and shine brilliantly in your workplaces, families, and communities with the changed life God has given you, a new creation that he has made you to be. And Lord, be with us now as we go out. We confess that we do need your strength. We do need your power. We do need your love to cover us so that we can spread the gospel. We can share it with our neighbors as well. So that, Lord God, we would not only be the ones blessed, but we would be a blessing. Please be with us, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.